You may be seated, and I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And as you, as you make your way there, I want to, if you are not aware, uh, we have these things now uh, that they tell me are called bulletins. Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, most of you do, uh, but uh, we have uh, the order of service here, our calendar is here in the middle, and for uh, kids and adults too, uh, we have something that you can color, something to keep you uh, busy, but you can also take notes on the back, and there's a, a contact card that if you're a guest with us, you, we'd love for you to fill out if you haven't filled one out yet. Uh, but you can also ask for prayer requests, and this is just a way to let us know and, and to thank you uh, for visiting with us this morning. That comes out, it tears out, so if you would do that, place it in the, the box back there, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Also, uh, we have, if you didn't notice, we have boxes with crayons, and I'm here at the front and there at the back. So um, maybe you, your kids bring their crayons, their coloring utensils with them. Uh, but I'd like to recruit all of you to help. If we ever have a guest that comes in, I know we have greeters and we have people that they love to do that and they signed up to do that on the ministry form. But, but if you ever see somebody uh, who's new or visiting, uh, one of the ways that you can make them feel welcome is just to bring them a bulletin and say, hey, did you grab one of these? Especially if they have kids. Uh, if they're visiting with children that are, are not in nursery, uh, you know, show them that there's something that they can color uh, and I would appreciate you uh, doing that. Matthew chapter 15, uh, as, as we get started, I want to say thank you for all the prayers for the men who were on the men's retreat. I thank, uh, I thank our wives. Um, I thank uh, all the people that helped out, uh, helped my wife and uh, offered meals and assistance and uh, it, it made it very easy to, to be away. I will say that, that God absolutely uh, blessed the time that we were there. Um, we had great conversations. I think we left, all of us left there closer to the Lord than when we came. Um, and so uh, we were challenged to give a testimony and not just say that, you know, how was the conference? Well, it was fine, it was good. You know, uh, but uh, for me personally... Um, it was a chance to be reminded of the amazing grace that God shows in saving people like me. Uh, it was a, an opportunity to be reminded of where I was when, when God saved me, how totally inexplainable, unexplainable, inexplicable it would be uh, if you had asked any of my friends back then, you know, 10 years from now, one of these five people is going to be a pastor. None of them would have picked me. It just would not have happened. Um, and so I, I left there just even more grateful, uh, more reminded of God's kindness to me and Jesus. So thank you, um, Thank you for, for allowing me to go, for helping my family and helping the other men. Matthew chapter 15, we want to look at verses 29 through 31. If you're there, say amen. 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 Jesus has 
had the encounter with the Gentile woman and he commends her faith. And then in verse 29 it says, Moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and sat there. And large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. They put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they gave glory to the God of Israel. One of Newton's laws of motion, the first law, can be summarized in a number of ways, but but one of the ways you'll often hear is that an object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest unless it is acted upon by an outside force. When we think about the motion that is, is going through the story of the Gospels, what we see is that there is a definitive direction to the narrative, not just in the Gospels, but of the entire Scriptures. What we have seen in the past couple weeks is that Jesus is, is healing, He's ministering to Jews, and we, we cross a threshold, and we're in Matthew 15, we're going to get to Matthew 16, where Peter makes that great confession who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. That's a turning point in the gospel. There, there's a motion that, that is carrying this. There's a motion first from, from Jesus, right? He descended from heaven. And he's the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. He's the hope of Israel, the king of Israel. But there's also this motion where what that means is going to go beyond Israel. It has implications for not just Israel, but for Gentiles. And we see that little turn in the story with the Gentile mother and her daughter. And she has great faith. She is able to access the blessings that, that Jesus is bringing to his people by faith. And then we come to chapter, uh, chapter 15, verses 29 through 31. And we see that Jesus is doing even more miracles... And what he is doing, if we have to make a guess, it's probably both Jews and Gentiles that are being healed. But look at that last phrase. In verse 31, it says, They gave glory to the God of Israel. Now, I want you to flip back to Matthew chapter 9. Because this, this is not the only time where the crowd, where Jesus heals and the crowd is amazed and there's uh, this great work going on. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, 1 through 8, Jesus heals a paralytic, but he also tells them his sins are forgiven. And you know how it ends. Which one is easier? But he heals him. In verse 7, he gets up and he goes home. Verse 8, the crowd saw this. So this sounds familiar, right? When the crowd saw this, they were all struck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. So there's an echo here. And, and in that context, it's mostly Jews. But here, Matthew uses a different phrase. He says they gave glory to the God of Israel. 
why would Matthew need to specify that these people are giving glory to the God of Israel? I think it's because they're mostly Gentiles who are being healed. It's mostly people who would not be connected to the God of Israel in any way. Such that Matthew makes a note that these people, these pagans, these Gentiles who are being healed are giving glory to the God of Israel. I think about the story of Jonah. You know Jonah is told to go to Nineveh. And he rebels and he gets on a ship and he sails uh, away in the opposite direction. And the storm comes and... uh, at the end of that chapter 2, it says that, that the men cried out to Yahweh. Right? The, these, these pagan sailors cry out to the Lord. And then at the end of chapter 4, the Ninevites cry out to the Lord. This is not the usual everyday expectation. So there's a motion here. There is something that's happening where the, the promises and the blessings... And what Christ is coming to do, like we read in Romans 2, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, there's a motion to it. Jesus Christ descends into heaven as Israel's Messiah, but there's something that's going to carry on beyond Israel to the Gentiles. We see this in the book of Acts, don't we? They go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. So what is it that Jesus is doing specifically? Well, in verse 29, it says he's moving on from there and he goes along the Sea of Galilee. Now notice this. He went up on a mountain and sat there. Why does that sound familiar? Well, that's, that's an image of Moses going up on a mountain and receiving the law, receiving the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus here is, is portrayed in language that echoes Moses. Here is the new Moses, but it's not just Moses going up to see God. Here is God himself on the mountain, right? There was somebody else on the mountain with Moses, right? It was God. So here's the God man, the new Moses, going up on the mountain, and he sat there. But notice this. What was Israel told not to do when Moses was on the mountain? Say that. Not to look at him, not to, what were they not to do? They were not to step foot on the mountain, right? Moses, to, Moses is told, set a perimeter, because if they step on there, I might break out against them. So here, it, with Moses, you had this, this barrier that was set up. The people of Israel were not to, to pass that barrier, but here, Jesus, the God-man knew Moses, sits down, and what does it say? And large crowds came to him. There's something new. There's something familiar, but there's something new here. And then it says, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. Now, what's amazing about that? Well, first of all, if you go read the Old Testament, a lot of this would qualify you as unclean. To be lame, crippled, you, you were not to be coming into the temple, into the tabernacle. So not only are these ceremonially unclean coming, but they're coming up to Jesus and they can't walk, they can't see, their, their bodies are deformed, they can't speak, and, and then it's not even all of them. It says there were many others. 
And then look at what Matthew says. They put them at his feet and he healed them. I love how simply that's put. They come, they're placed at his feet, and he healed them. What you don't really get in the English translation is the intensity of what's happening here. Imagine the frenzy that would happen if we went to downtown Raleigh and people were bringing anybody and everybody that had some kind of physical deformity, mental affliction, blindness, speech impediments, whatever, and they found out that there was a guy in the middle of downtown Raleigh who was, if you just bring him, he'll heal them. Do you think it'd be kind of a calm situation? The language that's used here is when it says that they brought them, the word literally means they threw. This, this was what you might expect of people just one after the other, and Jesus heals one after the other. And I think what's interesting about this is that there's no, there, there's no limit. Jesus doesn't get tapped out. He doesn't run out. He doesn't call it and say, you know, I've only got so much healing left within me. But they keep bringing them and putting them at his feet. And I think that, that's important for us to, to pause and, and remember. But let me just say this. Whatever you're looking for, whatever healing, whatever hope, whatever you're wrestling with, the place that you need to be is at the feet of Jesus. Whatever the situation is, the place where we need to be is at his feet. And it says he healed them. So he's doing all this. And what is the result? Verse 31 tells us, so the crowd was amazed. Well, duh. Right? I mean... Well, let's be honest, that's not, really, that's not a shocking statement that people are amazed because Jesus is healing these people. I mean, think about it. You're seeing a blind person be set in, place, set in front of a man, and then he gets up and he can see. That's amazing. That's all inspiring. So they are amazed. And what I love about this is Matthew, if you think of Matthew doing this, he, he's it's a montage. You know what a montage is, right, in a movie? Where it's just like one scene right after another. Matthew could have just left it as, and he healed them, right? And the crowds were amazed. But then Matthew makes sure that you get it. So here's the montage, right? The blind, the, or those unable to speak. A guy walks up, he can't speak, he gets up talking. You see a crippled man come he, he has a deformed limb, or maybe he, he's lost fingers or toes or whatever it was, and you see him restored. The lame are carried and brought, set in front of them, and we see them getting up and walking. The blind feel their way, and then they get up, and you see that they see. The montage that Matthew gives us here is meant to inspire and cause awe within us. Don't, don't skim over that. Those unable to speak, talking. 
unable, without the physical capacity. It's not, it's not that they needed medication. It's not that they needed speech therapy. They were unable. But now, placed at the feet of Jesus, they're talking. The crippled restored. It's not that you know, the muscle had deteriorated because of atrophy or, or lack of use. Crippled, unable to use, but now restored. The lame, they cannot walk, but now they're walking. The blind, it's not that they needed glasses. They could not see. Now they see. So therefore, the people are amazed. And what did they do? They gave glory to the God of Israel. So what we see in this text is that Jesus comes to restore his people. He comes to restore people who are broken who are deformed, who are struggling, who are dealing with whatever physical maladies they might have had, and Jesus heals them. And they give glory to the God of Israel. Now, here's the thing. What does it mean that they gave glory to the God of Israel? It means that they recognize the one true God as the God of Israel and that he is the one who ought to receive the credit. That's, that's what giving glory means. It's ascribing the, the praise and the credit where it's due. So they see Jesus and they give God the glory. Matthew's point here is that Jesus is the God of Israel. He is the God of Israel bringing glory to himself by restoring his creation. Now here's the thing. We see Jesus operating on a physical scale, addressing physical issues. But I can't help and read and think about how these are also indicative of spiritual realities. Jesus can heal the lame. He can cleanse the leper. He can cause the blind to see. But there's also a spiritual component to this. And the reason I, I say there's a spiritual component because this phrase that they were in awe and they gave glory to the God of Israel, that actually points us to a passage in Isaiah. And I want you to turn there. I want you to turn to Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29. And 
for the sake of time, we're not going to read all of Isaiah 29. But I just wanted to point out the context of Isaiah 29. And then show you where the, the connection is made in Matthew. And then I think you can draw the conclusion for yourself. Isaiah 29 begins, Woe to Ariel, Ariel the city where David camped. Continue year after year, let the festivals recur. I will oppress Ariel and there will be mourning and crying and she will be to me like an Ariel. I will camp in a circle around you. I will besiege you with earth ramps. I will set up my siege towers against you. You will be brought down. You will speak from the ground. Your words will come from low in the dust. Your voice will be like that of a spirit from the ground. Your speech will whisper from the dust. So I think it's safe to say God's not happy. Look at verse 5. Your many foes will be like fine dust and many of the ruthless like blowing chaff. Then suddenly, in an instant, you will be punished by the Lord of armies with thunder, earthquake, and loud noise and storm and tempest and a flame of consuming fire. All the many nations going out to battle against Ariel, against you, all the attackers, the siege works against her and those who oppress her will then be like a dream of vision in the night. It will be like a hungry one who dreams he is eating. You get the point, right? This, this is a, a context of judgment. Look at verse 9. Stop and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with beer. For the Lord has poured out on you an overwhelming urge to sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. Continue, verse 13. The Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service. Now listen. Yet their hearts are far from me. And human rules direct their worship of me. Therefore I will confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of the wise will vanish and the perception of their perceptive will be hidden. Go to verse 17. Isn't it true that in just a little while, Lebanon will become an orchard and the orchard will seem like a forest? And on that day, the deaf will hear the words of a document and out of a deep darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Verse 19. The humble will have joy. After joy in the Lord and the poor people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Verse 22. Therefore, the Lord who redeemed Abraham says this about the house of Jacob. Jacob will no longer be ashamed and his face will no longer be pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands within his nation, they will honor my name. They will honor the Holy One of Jacob. And look at this. And stand in awe of the God of Israel. The context of Isaiah 29 is that it's not just physical healing that's the problem. 
The problem is, is that hearts are far from God. But God says that there will come a day when that will change. And the change occurs in verse 22 when it says what? The Lord who redeemed Abraham. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 15, is not just coming to solve all of our physical problems. He's coming to restore and redeem people. So then we read Matthew chapter 15 and we realize it's not just a, a, spirit, it's not just a physical problem that's the issue. Do you not see that all the descriptors of physical maladies are also apt descriptors of our own hearts? It says that they brought the lame. Before Christ, our hearts, our hearts are not inclined. They're not walking in the ways of the Lord. We have no strength to exercise any righteous or good deed. We're blind. Our hearts are blind to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Our hearts are blind to our own sinfulness. Our hearts are so wicked, we don't even know how wicked we actually are, and they convince us that we're not that wicked. Paul says we're blinded by the God of this age, but, but we're blind nonetheless. But it's worse. Not only is our heart incapable and our heart blind, our heart is crippled. Even if we wanted to try to climb and claw our way in the darkness towards God, we can't. Your heart does not stumble upon the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Your heart is crippled. Does not seek the things of God. Unable to speak. Unable to speak apart from Jesus and before Jesus. You have no interest in praising. You have no interest in speaking to the Lord. Ascribing, giving glory to the Lord with a true heart. So, before Christ... Your heart is lame, your soul is blind, your will is crippled, your lips have no desire to give glory to the God of Israel. So, what hope do we have? The Bible says that all of that description of, of being blind and, and unable, that is because we're sinners. We're born blind. We're born spiritually crippled. We're born, not just spiritually crippled, spiritually dead. So what's our hope? If we're sinners deserving of judgment, we're separated from God, we're weak, unable to save ourselves, Unable to do enough good works to merit salvation. What is our hope? It's the same hope 
of the people in our text. We come to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we're invited to to understand that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, for your sins, and paid the penalty. He died. And that's what we deserved. He died on the cross in, in our place. And the justice and the judgment of God was poured out on him. And he, take it, he, he took it fully, completely exhausting it. And then he raises again on the third day. Accomplishing the salvation of his people. Such that now, the good news of the gospel is that Christ died for sinners and rose again. So, trust him. Rest in him. Believe in him. When you do, that's when your heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. Your lame heart suddenly becomes inflamed with love for God. Your will, which was crippled, is now set free. Your Mouth now becomes an avenue for praising and giving glory to the God of Israel. The difference in this text, what makes the difference, is Jesus. So, how do we leave here, taking this text, applying it to to whatever situation we find ourselves in, Maybe you find yourself in need of physical healing. And I want you to say, I believe that God still heals people. I I believe that God still does miracles. I don't want you to give up hope. Imagine how many of these people had given up hope. They'd been crippled their whole life. They've tried everything. They've tried everything that's been offered to them. But when they're set at the feet of Jesus, they're healed. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say that, that I know for sure that God will heal you. When you ask and on your schedule. But I do know this. If you trust in the Lord Jesus, it may not be today. May not be tomorrow, may not be next year. That healing, though, will come. And it might only be when you finally cross over to never wrestle with it again. But maybe you find yourself spiritually crippled, spiritually stagnant spiritually you've tried all the things you've tried everything to make your your spiritual life something that maybe that's exactly the point i know our men are going through the spiritual disciplines 
But understand this. These people that, that could now see, they could see, they could read, they could talk. That They were now able to do the spiritual disciplines, but where it started at was the feet of Jesus. So maybe you're struggling spiritually and you've tried so much to do. Maybe you need to go back to the start and just come sit at the feet of Jesus and be in his presence. Be with him. Be healed. Receive the blessings that he gives to us by faith. Trust him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I want you to know that you need Jesus. There is no spiritual healing outside of Christ. I'd even go so far as to say there's no physical healing outside of Christ. Now, I know we have medicine. I know we have great technology. But I think it's safe to say that what a, what a surgeon does and what Jesus will do on that great and final day when he restores all things and creation is finally liberated from bondage to sin, when your heart and your will is finally made perfect and whole and complete, and you struggle with sin no more, that healing pales in comparison to, to any kind of healing modern medicine can give. But if you have not trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know that that offer is for you today. The same Jesus in this text that healed the lame, the broken, the blind. Understand, Jesus was not ignorant of who these people were. There's no mention in the text of their qualifications. Jesus knew everything about them. He knew their wickedness. He knew what they had done. And yet, He was willing to heal them anyway. So, first of all, maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and you feel like you've got to get stuff cleaned up before you do. I want you to understand categorically that's not how this works. Number one, whatever you feel like you need to clean up, Jesus already knows about it's not like if you clean it up and then come, Jesus is like, I didn't even know you wrestled with that. He knows already. And yet, the invitation still stands. Come. Maybe you're tired. You're weary. You, you, you thought you really could be good enough. I want you to know the invitation is there. Come, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or maybe you think Jesus wouldn't take you because for the exact reason that he does know all that you've done. When we were at the conference, I was reminded again the things that I did before Jesus Christ changed my life. The shameful things that I did. Things that 
that if I wasn't assured of God's pardon would keep me awake at night. Jesus knew every single one of those. And he still saved me. So maybe you don't think Jesus, maybe you think you've got to get it cleaned up. That's not how it works. Maybe you think if you get it cleaned up, Jesus doesn't know about it, but he does. But then maybe you think Jesus would never take you because he knows all about it. That's not how it works either. If you never trusted Christ as your Savior, understand this. He knows you're a sinner. You need to know that you're a sinner. But you also need to know that Jesus Christ loved sinners. And he loved you. And he went to a cross to demonstrate the love that he has for sinners. And so you might acknowledge that you're a sinner. But you also need to come, believe, and trust in what Christ did on your behalf. When you do, you are welcomed. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are made a part of God's family. You're healed and promised healing. So however the Lord has spoken to you this morning, we come to a time where we want to take the Lord's Supper and respond. And the response of the Lord's Supper is less about getting yourself right and prepared and worthy of taking the Lord's Supper It's more about Jesus saying, I know you're unworthy, but I want you at my table anyway. The Lord's Supper is a chance for us to marvel, to be awestruck like these people in our text, that God would heal and love and save sinners like us. So, What we want to do is, as we come to a time of response, we're going to take a few moments and I want you to pray. Ask the Lord to show you where you might be lame, where you might be crippled in your heart and your spirit, where you might be blind. And as the Lord reveals those things, maybe you need to confess sin. Paul does say we need to examine ourselves. We don't want to come without examining But I think we all know that the purpose of examination is not to get perfectly clean to come to the table because the examination tells us that we're not, right? Have you ever thought about that? Like if we think of examination in Paul's sense as we need to get ourselves worthy to be at the table, then we should never come. But whatever the Lord reveals, confess, repent. But then understand that this is an opportunity to trust that God will heal that God will restore, that God gives grace in Jesus Christ. So as we pray, you examine your heart, do whatever business you need to do with the Lord, and when you're ready, come and take the elements, take them back to your seat, and we'll take them together. But I want to begin our time of response by praying for you. Heavenly Father, the the text that we've looked at this morning is... It's fairly straightforward, Lord. We need you. We need you more than we possibly could imagine. We we not only need you for our bodies, we need you for our spirits. 
Lord, we need you for our soul, for our will. God, for those of us that are believers, we thank you that you are stronger. Lord, that though we were dead in our sins, you made us alive. Lord, though we were children of wrath, you made us sons and daughters of the King. Lord, we thank you that though we were lame, blind, and crippled, God, you healed us. And you healed us at such great cost to your Son. Jesus, you shed your blood and gave your life that we might know what it is to be healed, body and soul. Lord, thank you for that great love. Holy Spirit, work in the hearts of your people so that we would know the assurance and the promise that is given to us that Christ is our healer. And may we give him the glory for it. It's in Jesus' name. You take a moment.